You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today we continue our series on the five hate languages, and we're looking at the hate language of neglect, specifically how we may be neglecting those we love, how we may be neglecting God, and how we may be neglecting the stranger in our midst. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. If you have a Bible this morning, look up 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at several scriptures in the Bible. I'm enjoying this series. We're calling this series The Five Hate Languages. It's kind of a a spin on Dr. Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. So just a review on last week. Last week we, uh, we talked about the hate language of our actual speech. Now I want you to understand how we're defining hate for the purpose of this sermon series. I'm not saying that as Christians we wish ill on everybody or anybody, saying that we think, you know, that they deserve some kind of punishment. I'm just suggesting that sometimes we care less of somebody else than ourselves. In other words, Jesus says to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we try to do that, but sometimes our speech, our language, our actions doesn't show that we're doing that. And so that's the purpose of this series, is to show how we may not be loving our neighbors as ourselves, how we may be communicating that somehow, some way, this person or this people group is less important than us. So like I said, last week we learned a hate language is our actual speech. The opposite of Dr. Chapman's words of affirmation is words of defamation. And we learned that the Bible is just very, very explicit. And we should choose our words very wisely. How we shouldn't gossip, how we shouldn't curse, how we shouldn't talk about other people behind their back. How we should be careful about how we tweet or how we Instagram, all of that kind of stuff. Now if you have Dr. Chapman's book and you've read through it, You'll know the second love language that Dr. Chapman mentions in his book is quality time. Some people, many people, just feel the most loved when they have just a little attention paid to them. And they show love by doing the same thing. And it's funny, as your pastor has been here five years now, it's funny that I, I could see some of your lives in this. I know some of you very well, and I can see your love language. I've learned that that some of you like words of affirmation, but I've also learned some of you like quality time. As I read through this chapter this last week in his book, I I thought of Mr. John, and I thought of of George Ray. They like quality time. They just like having a cup of coffee together and and talking. That's, That's their love language. I can just see it, or at least one of them. So my question is this morning, if quality time is a love language... And I believe it absolutely is. I mean, you can. I mean, Carissa is a good example of this. It's not so much that that I, that I can see it how I communicate to her, but I can see it whenever I'm not paying attention. Whenever she's talking to me and I'm on the phone or on into a TV show, I have to stop it to pay attention to her. So I know she appreciates quality time. So what's the opposite of that? And I think the opposite of quality time is just simply neglect. Just simply neglect. Many marriages, many, many marriages are suffering just because the husband or wife is neglecting their spouse. Even though he or she may love their spouse, even though they may be giving them words of affirmation, even though they may be giving them gifts, they're just not giving them the attention that they deserve or they need or they crave. 
And if you go back to your dating years, you'll find this to be true. When, when you're dating, what do you do? You spend quality time. You hold each other's hands. You talk to each other and you listen to each other. And then as marriage goes on, your attention gets paid to the children or your attention gets paid to the job or the bills or something else. But I submit to you this morning, it's not just in marriages. It's also in other areas of life. And the Bible is just absolutely full of instructions of how neglect can be a hate language. And I want to look at some examples, but through this whole series, I'm not talking about just a married couple. I'm talking about three things. First off, I'm talking about how we communicate to, to people we love. I'm talking about how we communicate. Now, as a Christian, we believe that we have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ, right? We believe that Jesus walks with us. He talks with us. We go to the garden alone like we sing. So how do we communicate with God himself? And then there's the stranger in our midst. Those that we don't know and don't know us. How are we communicating with those three different people groups? So we're going to look at three examples specifically this morning. The first example is a very familiar story found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. This was the birth of Samuel who was a prophet, priest, and a prophet and priest and judge. Prophet, priest, and judge. It says, now there was a certain man of... Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panah. Panah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts Shiloh, in Shiloh. Also the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Panah, his wife, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year... When she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in shallow. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Beautiful story. I'm just going to stop there. Most of us know the story about this. And she had Samuel. After the child was weaned, she gave him to the Lord. It's just a great, great story. I preached a Mother's Day story about this last year, I think. And I've read this story a hundred times, but I learned something new when I read it this week. First off, we see, we see what I believe is, is a hate language that we talked about last week. We see that, that her rival provoked her severely in verse 9 to make her miserable. So you have one, her rival, that was just making her life miserable. But good old Hannah, she came to church anyway. She worshipped anyway. Now that's a hate language. We learned that last week. I study the story, and I study it really close. 
First off, I want you to know that Elkanah, he really loved his wife. I mean, you see that he loved her. He gave her a double portion. Perhaps Elkanah's love language was gift-giving, and we'll talk about that in the future. But he says he loved her. I mean, he really loved her. And I want you to know this morning, just because you love someone doesn't mean that you're communicating the way we should. Hate language doesn't necessarily come out of a place of hate. So study this. Look at it really close. What was the turning point in Hannah's story? What was the turning point? The turning point is in verse 9 when Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? We don't know the whole story. But we know that this is after years of Hannah being provoked. This is after years of him giving her gifts. This is after years of, of her weeping. And finally, Elkanah, I guess at dinner time around a meal, Elkanah finally decided just to give her a little attention. I don't want to add too much into the story, but that's what I noticed when I read this. Over dinner, he just asked her some questions. He said, Hannah, Hannah, why are you weeping? Hannah, why are you not eating? Why is your heart group? I don't understand it. I'm doing everything I can. But after that, everything changed. And what was the difference between this and the time before? The time before, Elkanah was just giving her gifts. The time before, Elkanah, he wasn't really trying to understand. He was just neglecting her. He was neglecting her pain. He was neglecting how she was feeling. And all it took was just a little bit of attention from her husband. That's a perfect example of how we may be showing neglect to those we love. You may be neglecting how your child may be bullied at school. You love your child and you're trying to help your child and you're trying to tell them things to, to make them feel good when really maybe all they need is just a conversation. Maybe all they need is to say, son or daughter, I know where you're coming from, but the Bible says this. Maybe your spouse is suffering with something at work. And maybe all they need is a conversation to say, listen, I love you, and I know God's got a plan for you. Maybe it's your grandchild. Maybe it's your best friend, and all they need is just a little bit of conversation. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect. Spend a little bit of quality time with them. That's a perfect example, I think, of how we may be neglecting somebody we love. But like I said earlier, it's not just somebody we love. Sometimes we neglect our very relationship with God himself. If you look in the last book, in the last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 1, let me read this. It's in Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to read 12 verses in here. Just turn to Matthew and look back a few pages. This was God speaking. This was God speaking to Malachi. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste to his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom was said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They may be called the territory of the wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. All right, now, now look in verse 5 and pay attention to these verses. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? 
And if I'm a master, where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have, you, have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contentable. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you who would shut the door so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from your hands. From the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit is contemptible. Man, that's some pretty strong language. Pretty strong language from God himself. Now what I want you to notice about this, this was not pagans he was talking to. This was not people that was worshiping a false idol. These were priests. It says in verse 6, you priest. These were the holiest of the holies. They were going to the temple. They were presenting sacrifices. I really want you to understand that this morning. They had not forgot who God was. They knew perfectly well that this was the God who created the universe. They knew perfectly well this is the God who had delivered them. They knew perfectly well. They knew who, what, who God was and what he deserved. But what was their problem? Their problem was that they had just neglected God and his holiness. Like I said, they were still sacrificing to him. They were still offering to him. But they were just offering him less than they would others. God looked at their attitudes. God looked at what they were doing for him and what they were doing for others. And he considered their neglect of his holiness absolute hate. I mean, look in verse 8. He says, you're despising my name. And he called it evil in verse 8. He said... And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? I mean, that's some strong words. So that's an example of how we neglect those we love. And that's an example of how we neglect God. I mean, if he was looking at the church today, what would he say? He said, yeah, I know you love me. And I know you know what I did for you. But I'm looking down on Sunday and I'm seeing an empty pew. You are not going to be, you're not going to have empty ball field stands. You're going to be there for your son to watch him hit a home run. But you won't come to church to worship me. You're going to be there to go to a dance recital for your daughter, but you're not going to be here for me. You'll never be late for work, but you're going to be late coming to church to worship my name. And on and on it goes, and God is just laying it out for him. And he says, hey, you're talking to me, and I'm giving you an answer. You don't like the answer, but it's the truth. You're communicating that, that, that I'm not that important to you. You're neglecting me. You're neglecting my holiness. You're neglecting the fact that I sent my only begotten son to die for you. Now listen, God would probably expect that much from somebody that don't know him. But it's, some, it's, it's just downright hate for us to believe that God did that for all of us and not give him anything back. So that's an example of how we neglect those we love. And then we just read an, an example of how we neglect... God himself? Now what about those we don't know? I'll quote one scripture before we get to the fun stuff. This is a powerful scripture. It's in Hebrews 13 verses 1 and 2. 
The writer of Hebrews simply said, Let brotherly love continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The King James Version says, Forget, forget, neglect, same thing. But isn't that a powerful verse? He says, don't neglect the strangers in your midst. For some of you may have entertained angels unaware. That stranger that you try to avoid eye contact with, that stranger you try to avoid could be an actual angel. That's how I take it. Man, that's, that's powerful. We're not to neglect those we love. We're not to neglect God. We're not to neglect the strangers. So here's the fun stuff. Here's where we need to think about it this morning. How can we not... How can we not show the hate speech of neglect to those three people? I see these three groups of people. Like I said, I see the ones we love, and I see God himself, like in Malachi, and I see the stranger, like in Hebrews. So how do we not neglect those we love? I think the first perfect, easy thing to do is just to simply engage. Just to simply engage. Ask intentional questions. That's exactly what the people did in Malachi. God says, hey, you're asking me this, and I'm asking you back. So ask, ask intentional questions. Everyone's favorite subject is themselves. When Elkanah finally came to his senses, the, the, the turning point in that story was when Elkanah asked questions. Handle what's wrong. I want to tell you this morning, if you're having trouble in your marriage, and if you're having trouble with your children, if you're having trouble in your workplace, if you're having trouble even with your enemies, sometimes, I mean, it may even be in the church. Sometimes it may be in your friendship. Sometimes the only thing that's needed is just a simple question. How are you? How are you doing, really? And don't lie to me. How are you doing? How are your children? Just listen. Just Give somebody a little attention. Just ask the question. It may, be, it may be God. You might want to come to the altar after the service. God, I've neglected you. What do you want from me? Tell me where you want me to go and I'll go. I'm sorry. I've been neglecting your voice. I paid attention to everything else. Maybe it's your spouse. Honey, what, what can I do to show you I love you? And go on and on and on. Just engage. Engage a little bit. I talked to someone yesterday at the funeral and I asked him how he was doing. And he, he poured on me. He poured on me, man. He, he just let it go how he had had trouble, how he had lost his job, how he had lost his vehicle, how he even spent a little bit of time in jail. And listen, I can't tell you that it was some super spiritual conversation, but through that conversation, at least he knew I cared about him. And mind you, I, I wasn't there for him. I was there for a funeral. Listen, if, if we don't engage, that communicates that we don't care. And you just saw... We're supposed to care. And you just saw how it could even be an angel you're talking to. But don't just engage. Show understanding. Show understanding. If you've been there and you've done that, then share with them. Share with them. Show understanding. You go back and you look at these examples. I guarantee you there's people in this church that can identify with these people. I mean, maybe you're here and you're a woman and you can identify with Hannah's story. Wouldn't it be great for Hannah if she could talk to somebody else that had dealt with infertility? Wouldn't it have been great for Elkanah if he could talk to somebody else, a husband that had a wife like that? Maybe he did. Wouldn't it be great if you could talk to somebody that had been ignoring God like you once did? Show understanding. Just listen and just say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. And if you haven't, say, I know somebody that's been there and done that. 
That leads into this. You know, one of the hardest commandments to keep, even for the Christian, is thou shalt not lie. It's so very easy to, to be there and engage with somebody that's having trouble and you just say, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. But I want to encourage you this morning, engage, show love, but don't lie. Don't lie. Don't, don't, just don't do it. Just don't lie. Don't pretend you understand the person's struggles if you don't. This is one of the hardest things for a minister to do. I, I have so much respect for the ministers that, that preached that funeral yesterday of a, of a lady that was, that was murdered. And them two ministers, they did something I respect very much. They did not lie and say, I know what you're going through because they don't. There's no way to know what you're going through. But I could tell you something. Engaging that family, it showed me that, hey, I do know just how evil this world is. And I do know just how short this life is. And I do know that because of Jesus Christ, he can give us peace. So don't lie, just tell the truth. If you see a need that can be met, then meet the need. And if you can't, then try to find somebody else. If I'm talking to somebody, and I, I've had that happen since... Since I've been here, I shared the gospel with somebody, with a friend, and they say they didn't have a Bible. Well, within 12 hours, she had one. How easy of a need that can be met. Sometimes you might see somebody that's thirsty and needs a drink. How easy of a need can be met by just not neglecting the stranger. I want to encourage you as Christians, don't, don't neglect who you are and don't neglect who God is. That's once again, that's, that's in Malachi. These people had neglected who they were, and they had neglected who God was and who He is. Well, church, that's one of the worst things we can do when we get in the attitude that, hey, we're in control of our own lives and our own destinies. Man, it's a dangerous thing. I don't want to neglect a holy God. I want to keep God where He belongs. And God belongs making the decisions, and I belong following the decisions. So don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God is. And you know what keeps us from all of this? Through every single hate language, every single love language, there is one root problem with it all. And listen to me, this is what happens. It's selfishness. Selfishness keeps us from doing all these things. Selfishness keeps us from, from how we talk to others. We'll say, I'm going to talk how I want to talk. Who are you to tell me otherwise? Well, if you care about who you're talking to, if you care about who you're talking about, you're not going to be selfish. You're going to watch how you speak. And when it comes to engaging others, oh, it's so easy to just care about yourself and your needs. But I just want to tell you, if there's one thing this Bible shows is that it's not about us. So don't be selfish. Remember that it's not all about you. And that's what God was trying to say in Malachi. He was saying, guys, it's not about you. I'm the one that created you. I deserve to be first, not second. It's not all about you. Others need to talk, and others need Jesus. And like I said, for some, probably for all of you here, really, you've probably experienced this, a conversation can change absolutely everything. It's an absolute shame that most people's testimony, I'm not diminishing your testimony. Every testimony is a great one. But it's a shame that if I were to, asked to raise hands, almost all of you would say that you came to Christ in the church. But you know what? There should be a lot of hands go up that I came to Christ through a conversation with a friend. I came to Christ through a conversation with dad or with mom. 
I came to Christ through a conversation with my husband or a wife. You know what? You know why that doesn't happen? It's because we don't engage. We don't ever ask. We don't ever just engage. Say, hey, you know what? I know you've got problems, but have you ever considered it's not your biggest problem is not having Jesus in your life? A conversation can change somebody's eternity, and you should not be afraid to have a conversation with somebody. Having a conversation with somebody just shows you care. You don't have to push your beliefs on them. They either accept it or they reject it. And so many times we get the idea when we share Jesus with somebody that we don't want to do it because we're scared of being a failure. I'll just remind you of a conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. And what happened? The ruler walked away. Well, was Jesus a failure? Man, think about it. Was, was Jesus a failure? No, Jesus wasn't a failure. People reject. Jesus showed love. Jesus just engaged. The, the, the rich man came to Jesus and said, what have I got to do? And Jesus told him, and the guy went away. And that's the way it'll happen sometimes. But Jesus showed he cared by simply engaging. This morning, I, I'm going to close with just one little passage of Scripture. A powerful, powerful example in Scripture. And it's in Matthew chapter 25. And I think you should read this. I really do. I think you should read it. I think you should make a note of it. It's very, very powerful when we talk about engaging others, when we talk about meeting the needs of others. This is Jesus talking about when the Son of Man will judge the nations. It's two groups of people. You've got two kinds of groups of people. You've got one that will notice the needs of others and the other that will be selfish and just neglect them. It begins in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And by the way, let me just stop there. It's not if the Son of Man comes. It's when the Son of Man comes. And I don't think anybody can deny the things we've seen in 2020. That could happen tomorrow. Verse 32, All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate them one for another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will, set, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? When did that happen? I don't remember that happening. I don't remember seeing you in those things. And Jesus responds in verse 40, And the king will answer and say, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You weren't selfish. You had your eyes open. You engaged. You saw a need and you met it. It wasn't a great need. I wasn't asking for much. I was just thirsty. I needed a drink. I was cold and I needed a, a blanket. You just saw a need and you met it. You didn't think anything about it because I dwelt in you. You saw a need. You acted like I, I would act. You just did it. You didn't even ask. You weren't doing it for anything in return. You just did it. That's the first group. That's the sheep. And then in verse 41, he says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you curse, 
into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger naked, sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the everlasting punishment, but the righteousness, but the righteous into eternal life. Man, what a powerful, powerful examination. One group... One group behaving like Jesus would behave, and one group just behaving like they would behave. One group caring all about their own needs, and one group caring about others' needs. One group noticed the needs of others, and the other group neglected them. Let me just close this morning. What was the difference? The difference is one group had Jesus, and one group didn't. We're saved by grace, not of works. It's Ephesians 2.8. But if you have that grace, you're going to show grace to other people. And let me just tell you, the greatest need, the greatest need this world has isn't for food, it isn't for clothes, it isn't for water. The greatest need this generation has is for Jesus. Thank you for listening today. I hope you learned a lot. I hope you enjoyed the message and understood it. I hope that you'll take this and you won't neglect those around you. I hope you'll engage people like Elkanah did with Hannah, like the people did in Malachi. I hope you'll show understanding. I hope if you can meet a need, you'll meet it. And I hope you won't be selfish about any of these things. Hope you guys have a great week and join us on Wednesday for Wednesday Words of Wisdom. Mm -hmm.